Hello again, my friends, and welcome to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. This is the fifth episode in our exploration of the Gospel of Luke. Now, before we dive into our fifth theme in the Gospel of Luke, I do want to take a moment just to remind you uh, that almost every single thing I say on this podcast, I'm pulling from the excellent book, what the New Testament authors really cared about. So if you want to go even deeper into some of these themes and topics that I've mentioned, I would encourage you guys to check that book out. It is really excellent. It's really approachable. So even if you've never read a New Testament survey textbook, and that sounds very intimidating for you, I promise you that if you can read this, you can read this and you can profit from it. So highly recommend that you guys check that out. So without any further ado, let's jump right into our fifth theme, and that is this. Luke reminded Jesus' disciples that they should have radically different priorities for living. What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? In our last two episodes, we've looked at how Jesus came to bring God's salvation, freedom from the power and the penalty of sin, and how Jesus came to bring salvation for anyone and everyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him. So what happens after we're born again? What should it look like to live the Christian life in a fallen world? Well, at the very least, it should mean that we have some really different priorities for life than unbelievers that previously we would have been almost indiscernible from. Salvation is a free gift from God but it costs the recipient everything. And that sounds paradoxical, but I hope you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Salvation does not come by works. It comes by grace through faith. It is a free gift, but Jesus gives us that free gift and says, leave everything and follow me. And unless you think I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, Luke 5.11, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and James and John, and it says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Luke 5, 28, he calls Matthew, and it says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Luke 8, 19 through 21, that his mother and his brothers came to Jesus, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is saying, even your family. If your family doesn't follow Jesus and you have been called to follow Jesus, you might even have to leave behind your family. Another way that Luke describes these radically different priorities is that a disciple has to be ready to die every day. Now, for many of our brothers and sisters around the world today and for countless thousands of Christians throughout history, that call to be ready to die meant a physical death. But for every believer, Whether you live in America, whether you live in Hong Kong, whether you live in Singapore, you must be ready to die to your selfishness, to die to your rights, to die to everything that would keep you from following Jesus. A disciple must count the cost. Luke 14, 28-33, Jesus says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." 
Jesus is up front. There's no hidden agreements. There's no hidden terms to the contract. It's not in tiny, fine print. He is up front. Following him will cost you everything. The central portion of Luke's gospel is a travel narrative as Jesus goes from Galilee down to Jerusalem. It it covers about nine or ten chapters in the middle of the book. And at the beginning of this travel narrative, Jesus encounters three men, each of whom has an excuse for why they can't follow Jesus right at this moment. I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll go back and look at individual verses. It's Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying to this man, Following me wherever I go means following me into poverty. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus' words to these three men teach us what we should value and prioritize. Luke takes these sayings of Jesus and arranges them around other parables during this travel narrative to teach us how to order our priorities so that they line up with Jesus. To begin with, being a disciple of Christ means that we change the way that we view our material possessions. This is why Jesus says, Foxes have holes and the birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's warning this man and all of his followers that following Jesus might require you to give up your material possessions. Now, owning material possessions is not wrong unless they come between us and Jesus. Let me read to you Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When we were covering the book of James, I mentioned to you that the word that we see translated as both temptation and trial actually comes from the same Greek word. And James insists that God never tempts us to sin, but God does put us through trials. And money is a trial. Money reveals our heart. God blessed this man with more than he needed. And God's intention was for this man to discover, for this man to believe that he had been blessed in order to be a blessing that he could give away everything that he had and still have God and therefore have everything he could ever want. Satan was there. His sinful flesh was there whispering to him that, hold on to this. This is yours. You've earned this. You deserve this. The same moment, the same event, God meant it for good. This man's flesh and the devil meant it for evil. And tragically, this man listens to evil. And many of us do the same thing. We receive blessings from God and we hoard it and we hold on to it. And these material possessions, which were a gift, become a thorn in our side, and they trap us and leave us broken. Disciples should plan ahead, and they should use resources for greater purposes than hoarding. 
This is the heart behind the often confusing parable of the dishonest manager. Jesus tells us at the end that you cannot serve both God and money and that you should use what you have in order to plan ahead for judgment day. Is what you're doing, is what you're spending, is what you're saving, is what you're giving away, is this preparing for you an eternal inheritance and an eternal reward? Being a disciple of Jesus means a different way of looking at material possessions, and it means a different way of looking at other people. In short, we should place a priority on people. Luke 13, 10-17 illustrates this principle. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus says, these, these men have missed the point of the Sabbath. It's for us, for rest, to enjoy God, to enjoy one another, and they had made it something that you had to dread and live in fear of. And Jesus says, place your priority on people. People are more valuable than possessions. People are more valuable than man-made traditions. People have value because they are loved by God, not based on what they can give you. So we honor God with our possessions, and we love others because another thing that should characterize a disciple of Jesus is the habit of putting God first. And this is why Jesus says to that second man in that travel narrative, To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now this sounds harsh. Uh, but scholars would maintain that likely this man's father wasn't dead yet. And what he's saying to Jesus is, Once my father has died and my responsibilities to my family are at an end, then I will give you what time I have left. And Jesus says, no, absolutely not. I will not be your second priority. I will not be your second option. Jesus cares deeply that we love and honor our parents. This is said in the Old Testament. This is said in the New Testament. What Jesus is saying to this man and to us is that if you pick parents over him, then you can't be his at all. So a fourth thing that should characterize disciples of Jesus is prayer. And friends, Luke has so much to say to us in prayer, but I want to just give you four principles for prayer from the Gospel of Luke and four passages that go with them. And I know this is a big claim, but I think of all the things I've ever said to you in this podcast, if you could grab hold of these four things, if you could believe these four things, if you and I could live out these four things, what a mighty work that God would do through us. So what do we need to know about prayer? First, be bold in our prayer. Luke 11, 5 through 8 says this, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This man, the asker, 
needs bread. And so he shamelessly, absolutely shamelessly goes and wakes, tries to wake up his friend to get him to give him bread to give to his guest. And what Jesus says is what ultimately gets the friend, the ask E, what ultimately gets the friend out of bed is not friendship, but the boldness. And Jesus is here giving us a principle from the lesser to the greater. If this man will give the asker what he asked for because of his boldness, how much more will the Heavenly Father give us when we are bold? So friends, be bold. Be bold to approach God at any time of day. Be bold to ask God for things that you think deep down in your heart are impossible and then ask for more faith to believe that they are possible with God. Be bold. Ask for the salvation of not ones and twos, but ones and two millions. Ask for peace. Ask for the ending of disease. Ask for miracles. Be bold in prayer. Second, be submissive in prayer. Luke 11, 9-13 says this, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask, and you'll receive. You may not receive what you ask for, but you will receive. And be submissive to God and know that whatever God hands you, he gives you as your loving father. Again, from the lesser to the greater. If as an earthly father, I know to give my children what they need and not always what they ask for, then how much more will our heavenly father hear our prayers and give us what we need? So friends, if you are a child of God, if you are a born again Christian, then know that your heavenly father loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And he has promised, promised to give you what you need. So ask him for whatever it is that you want and receive whatever it is that he gives you with gratitude and a submissive heart, knowing that he knows better than you do what you need. So be bold in prayer, be submissive in prayer, and be persistent in prayer. And he told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect to cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Ask and keep on asking. Again, the lesser to the greater. If a wicked judge gives this woman what she asks because she won't stop asking, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you ask? Keep asking. Why does God make us ask more than once for what he already intends to give us? Friends, above all else, God wants to be glorified. And the number one way that God is glorified is by being trusted. If God gave us what we asked for or what we needed, Every time we asked, the first time we asked, would we really have to trust him? I don't trust a vending machine. I put the dollar in and I fully expect that candy bar to come out. But God is, doesn't want to be treated like a vending machine. He wants to be trusted. 
He wants to be asked again and again and again. He wants us to hold out hope. He wants us to believe the impossible so that he can receive glory through our faith and that he can receive glory through being the one who provides for us. So be bold in prayer, be submissive in prayer, be persistent in prayer, and be humble in prayer. Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a, a strange duality in prayer, a strange paradox, where we are to be bold and persistent, but also humble and submissive. We ask and we trust. We do not demand. God has chosen to be generous to us. We do not get to pound on the table and demand that God give us what we ask of him. We do not get to demand that God treat us the way we want to be treated. We do not get to demand of God. We are to be humbly submissive to God, open hands, a posture of submission and humility as we bow before him and trust him to give us exactly what we need, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it. And Jesus has won for us the gift of prayer. Be bold, be submissive, be persistent, and be humble. It's difficult to be a follower of Jesus, but it's worth it. The world is constantly trying to pull our hearts away from God. And their following Jesus cannot be a one-time decision. It is a daily struggle to keep our priorities straight. And that's why Jesus says, Yet another said, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here in America, we have a song we teach little kids. It's called the Hokey Pokey. Uh, and I'm not going to sing it to you, don't worry, but it says you, you put your right hand in, you put your right hand out, put your right hand in, and you shake it all about. And that's what this man wants to do. Let me follow you, but then let me go home, and then I'll come back and follow you, and then I'll go home. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to work like that. Follow me and trust me. Follow me now and every day. You cannot start to follow Jesus and say, yeah, but I reserve the right to leave you and go do something else, and then come back to you when it's convenient. No follow me. God should always be our first priority and our chief joy. Luke 10, 23 through 24. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. They're seeing Jesus. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We get to see and hear the Messiah and that should fill us with joy. And that's where I want us to end today. Because we've, we've laid out a pretty serious picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. It will cost you everything. And yet at the same time, another paradox at the heart of following Jesus is that we joyfully surrender our life. We joyfully surrender our possessions. We joyfully surrender our comfort because we believe that in the end, we lose nothing in following Jesus. In fact, Jesus' followers should be marked by not this sort of gloomy march to the scaffold, but rather joy. 36 times in the Gospel of Luke, Luke talks about joy. 45 times in the Gospel of Luke, 
Luke talks about praising God for what he's done and who he is. And 19 times, Luke talks about celebrating what God has done. You add that up, friends, that's 100 times. 100 times in the Gospel of Luke, in 24 chapters, that's four times a chapter, Luke talks about joy and celebrating and praising God. Does that mark your Christian life? Even in the midst of sorrow and grief, are you full of joy? Are you constantly praising God? And are you celebrating what God has done, eagerly looking forward to what God is going to do next? Life in the kingdom of God is eternally rewarding, but it is hard. And friends, Jesus has warned us of that. Before we leave the Gospel of Luke, it's worth taking a look at how Jesus responds to temptation. Because he is in all things our example. He's obviously more than our example, but he's not less than our example. And we want to understand that when we are tempted to place possessions or comfort or whatever it is above Jesus, that Jesus has been tempted to do the same thing, and he passed the test for us. So in our next episode, we're going to look at the story of the wilderness temptation. And remember, the primary goal of this story is not about steps to take to resist temptation. The primary takeaway from the story of the wilderness temptation should be about how Jesus has already done everything for us. When it comes to temptation, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. But that's what we'll look at, Lord willing, the next time we come back together. But for now, take up and read. God bless. 